The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Listener discretion is advised. This episode features discussions of murder, medical malpractice, suicide, mental health conditions, sexual assault, and substance use that may be disturbing. We advise extreme caution for listeners under 13. Forgiveness is a cornerstone of many religions. For example, in some churches, it can be found by approaching the altar during a service, admitting that one has sinned and accepting absolution from the pastor. But for many, the hardest part of seeking forgiveness is admitting the sin in the first place. Such was the case for Dr. Colin Howell. A staunch Baptist, he found himself unable to acknowledge his sins. Instead of admitting to his shame, Colin hid it. When he got his girlfriends pregnant out of wedlock, he forced them to have abortions, pretending they were never pregnant at all. And when his marriage failed, he killed his wife. Colin planned to pass it off as a death by suicide rather than admit he'd been a bad husband. But Colin Howell failed to understand a key tenet of his own religion. Eventually, all sins come to light. This is Medical Murders, a Spotify original from Parcast. For decades, thousands of medical students have taken the Hippocratic Oath. It boils down to do no harm. But a closer look reveals a phrase much more interesting. I must not play at God. However, some doctors break that oath, choosing to play God with their patients, deciding who lives and who dies. Each week on Medical Murders, we'll investigate those who decided to kill. We'll explore the specifics of how they operate, not just on their patients, but within their own minds, examining the psychology and neurology behind heartless medical killers. I'm Alastair Murden, and I'm joined by Dr. David Kipper, MD. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Kipper, and I'm delighted to assist Alistair with some medical insight into our final episode of the case of Colin Howell, 
whose dental practices were dangerously unconventional, as were his relationships in and out of his office. You can find episodes of Medical Murders and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Just open the app and type Medical Murders in the search bar. This is our second episode on Colin Howell, a staunchly religious dentist who committed two murders in Northern Ireland in the early 1990s. Last episode, we heard about Howell's religious roots, his dental practice, and the rocky marriage that ended when he murdered his wife. This time, we'll explore Colin's second killing, his attempted cover-up, and his eventual confession. All this and more coming up. Stay with us. Colin Howell had spent his life dedicated to two objectives, appearing to be a righteous Baptist and achieving success as a dentist. By 1991, 32-year-old Colin had seemingly succeeded at both. He owned and operated his own dentistry practice in Northern Ireland with a robust roster of patients and a second dentist working for him. He'd also developed a reputation as a devoted family man, complemented by his wife Leslie and their four children. And he was an active member of his Baptist church, frequently volunteering with children's groups. Any member of Colin's church who didn't know him personally might have thought he had it all. But beneath the surface, Colin Howell was a ticking time bomb with a dark secret. Adultery. In the spring of 1991, his affair with a fellow parishioner, Hazel Buchanan, convinced him that he'd never be happy in his marriage to Leslie. So, on the night of May 18, 1991, Colin waited until his children were all tucked into bed and his wife was asleep on their living room couch. Then, he poisoned Leslie with carbon monoxide fumes he piped in from his car. Within minutes, Leslie was dead. The crime was so quiet that the Howell children didn't so much as stir. The morning would bring heavy news for them. But their father's night was only just beginning. Colin carried his wife's dead body outside and put her into the trunk of his car. Then he called his mistress, Hazel, to ensure that she was holding up her half of the plan, which included a handful of lorazepam pills Colin had given to her. They were for her husband, Trevor. Lorazepam has sedative-like effects, relaxes muscles, and reduces anxiety. And this is why it's been used to calm patients before surgery. Like other benzodiazepines or benzos, lorazepam works by raising the brain's levels of inhibitory neurotransmitters like gabapentin, which depresses the central nervous system. As a dentist, Colin Howe may have used smaller doses of the drug to help relax patients prior to lengthier procedures, like a root canal. It's also an effective drug for patients that are dental-phobic because it reduces their anxiety, making the procedure easier for them and the dentist. 
When it comes to Trevor, a handful of lorazepam could have easily been lethal. Benzo-induced deaths usually require exceptionally large doses, and it sure sounds like a handful could have done the trick. Taking so many pills at once would most likely cause Trevor to fall into a deep sleep and can certainly kill him if his respiration slowed to a critical level. Colin Howell effectively used his knowledge of these medications to facilitate the crime he had been planning. And Hazel was integral to the crime's success. She confirmed to Colin that Trevor would be fast asleep soon. Earlier that evening, she'd crushed up the lorazepam and sprinkled it into a tuna sandwich for her husband. Trevor quickly grew tired after his meal, shuffled off to bed and dozed off. After getting off the phone with Colin, Hazel made a point to check that both of her children were also peacefully sleeping in their rooms. Minutes later, Colin pulled up to the Buchanan residence and backed into the open garage. She felt nervous, but the sight of her lover put her at ease. Though the evening's activities were unpleasant, a brief shared moment likely reminded them of their true motive, to be with one another freely. Then, Colin got to work. Hazel directed him to her bedroom where her husband was sleeping. Then, just as he'd done an hour prior, Colin took a hose and ran it from the garage through the house and towards his victim. For some reason, it seems Colin believed he could overpower an alert Trevor, let alone a sedated one. So he made no effort to physically restrain his victim. Colin placed the hose against Trevor's mouth, then turned on the car and let the toxic fumes flood his victim's lungs. But then, like Leslie earlier in the night, Trevor started to stir. When he noticed, Colin jumped on top of Trevor and tried to hold him down with the hose in his face. But Trevor wasn't as easily overpowered as Leslie had been. He was a police officer and he knew how to fight for his life. Despite the carbon monoxide exposure he'd already endured, Trevor still had some strength. He grabbed Colin by the wrist and attempted to throw him off. The two fell to the carpet, squirming. As they did so, the hose fell from Trevor's mouth, spewing toxic fumes out into the room, endangering Colin as well. Inhaling carbon monoxide can affect you very quickly. A few seconds of inhalation wouldn't have been terribly harmful to Colin, but it could have made him somewhat dizzy or slightly weak. It takes a heavy dose to cause someone to lose consciousness or kill them, and Trevor would have been in much worse shape at this point, especially given all that lorazepam in his system. The combination of carbon monoxide and the benzo would have rendered him extremely disoriented, weak, and short of breath. It's frankly amazing that he conjured enough catecholamines, or the body's stress hormones, also known as the fight-or-flight chemicals, to battle back in this situation. Given the circumstances, Trevor must have been a pretty tough guy. If they'd been equally poisoned and compromised, Colin might have gotten his butt whooped here, Alistair. 
After a few moments of wrestling in the fumes, Colin gained the upper hand in the struggle. From outside the bedroom, Hazel put her hands over her ears. She was an accomplice in her husband's murder, but she didn't want to listen to it. Inside the room, Colin managed to grab the hose and shove it back into Trevor's mouth. Trevor tried to yank it out, but Colin pulled the duvet over his head and trapped his arms, holding his victim down until he lost consciousness. Trevor Buchanan was dead, just as Colin Howell planned. But Colin hadn't gotten out of the attack completely unscathed. Though he hadn't inhaled a lethal amount of carbon monoxide, Colin started to feel sick. Unlike Trevor, Colin had only inhaled a bit of the toxic gas. But even in relatively small amounts, breathing in carbon monoxide can have problematic effects. Colin could have been experiencing headache, nausea, faintness, and shortness of breath. This is again the result of the assault carbon monoxide inflicts on the red blood cells, disallowing their hemoglobin molecules to properly transport oxygen to vital organs. As someone with a medical background, he surely knew that getting sick was a potential risk with the method of murder he chose. However, I'm assuming he expected his plan to go more smoothly. Instead, it got out of his control and he ended up impaired. He got a little taste of his own medicine, so to speak. Colin felt lightheaded and dizzy as he got up from the floor and stumbled outside. He got a breath of fresh air and steadied himself. Although he felt nauseated, he couldn't rest just yet, or he'd risk leaving behind incriminating evidence. And if Colin Howell had one specialty, it was sweeping his transgressions under the rug. Coming up, Colin Howell covers his tracks. Pirates. For centuries, the world has been fascinated by them. In films like Pirates of the Caribbean, they're portrayed as swaggering anti-heroes. In books like Treasure Island, they're fearsome villains. But who were they really? That's the question that Real Pirates, the new Spotify original from Parcast, answers. The whole thing about a pirate ship is that they were heavily manned. But you could have 100 pirates on board, so these are floating violence factories. At the same time, pirates were really fascinating characters, in a way. If you were born poor, you stayed poor. Pirates, on the other hand, they were able to transcend that social boundary. They didn't see themselves just as thieves and brigands. They saw themselves as social revolutionaries. Set sail under the black flag alongside notorious outlaws like Blackbeard, Charles Vane, and Bonnie and Mary Reed. Join us for episodes airing weekly starting November 15th. Follow and listen to Real Pirates for free on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. 
On the night of May 18, 1991, 32-year-old dentist Colin Howell and his mistress, 28-year-old Hazel Buchanan, killed their spouses. Colin poisoned both his wife, Leslie, and Hazel's husband, Trevor, while Hazel served as an accomplice. Shortly after the murders, Hazel began tossing incriminating evidence into her fireplace. Among the items sizzling on the coals, the hose that had spewed carbon monoxide into her dead husband's lungs. While Hazel disposed of the weapons, Colin handled the bodies. He started with Trevor, pulling off the man's pajamas and dressing him in street clothes. Then Colin slipped shoes on Trevor's feet and carried the corpse into the trunk of his car, where Leslie's body was already. Around this time, Hazel came out to check on him. As Colin got into the driver's seat, he directed Hazel to carefully clean the floors of the bedroom and wash the bedsheets to eliminate any speck of his hair or skin. Though he'd worn surgical gloves for both attacks, his time in dentistry training had taught him how traceable humans were. Colin knew he had to be careful not to leave tiny pieces of evidence behind. But as he sped away into the night, he knew the harder task would be getting rid of the bigger ones, the bodies. Colin drove to a beach in the village of Castle Rock. Along the way, he stopped on the side of the road to hide a bicycle that he planned to use for his escape. He knew the area was secluded. He'd met Hazel there more than once as they carried on their affair. But as he arrived at the beach, Colin had second thoughts. That's when he remembered that Leslie's father, who died suddenly in April, had a cottage nearby. Since it hadn't sold yet, the property was still vacant. And as Leslie's husband, Colin had access to it. So Colin drove to the cottage, pulled into the narrow garage, and staged a gruesome scene. Colin moved Trevor's body from the trunk to the driver's seat, then carefully positioned his wife's body. He laid the corpses out in a relaxed position, even putting Leslie's cassette player next to her and her headphones over her ears to make it appear that she died listening to her favorite songs. For the final touch, he laid some of their family photos beside her. Then, Colin connected a vacuum hose to the exhaust and ran it through the car and turned on the engine. Colin climbed out of the car and took one last look at his handiwork, his wife and Trevor Buchanan. Rather than murder, Colin hoped it would look like they died by suicide. Satisfied, Colin closed the garage door and left the scene on foot. He ran to where he had left his bike and raced home, trying to put as much distance between himself and his victims as possible. A few hours later, Colin called a church elder and told him that Leslie was missing. Colin told the man that he and Trevor Buchanan had been involved in a physical altercation over his affair with Hazel and that afterward, 
Leslie and Trevor drove off together. Concerned, the church elder and another parishioner met with Colin, and he revealed a letter that Leslie had supposedly written that night. The cryptic suicide note had been written months before, during a period of emotional distress for Leslie. Apparently, Colin had kept it for just this moment. He furthered his fabrication by suggesting that Leslie and Trevor had taken the keys to her father's cottage before leaving that night. In response, someone drove to the cottage to look for them. They assumed it was a quarrel gone wrong and that Leslie and Trevor would be found cooling off. However, when they checked the cottage, they didn't find anyone because they forgot to look in the garage windows. They let Colin know it seemed like Leslie and Trevor had gone elsewhere. Annoyed at their incompetence, Colin asked them to check again. And again. It was only on a third search of the property that a church elder, accompanied by an off-duty police officer, found Leslie Howell and Trevor Buchanan's bodies. They called the authorities, then broke the tragic news to Colin who feigned shock. When additional police arrived at the cottage, they examined the crime scene Colin had set up. Though Colin's face smiled up at them from the family photos he'd left in the car, his plan to hide in plain sight worked. The officers quickly ruled the case a double suicide by carbon monoxide poisoning. Considering Colin and Hazel's affair, it seemed cut and dry. No criminal charges were pressed. A subsequent inquest by the court agreed that the most likely explanation was a suicide pact. 33-year-old Colin Howell and 29-year-old Hazel Buchanan had gotten away with murder. Still, while Colin may have been savvy enough to hide the truth from the authorities, he wasn't a good enough actor to convincingly play the part of a grieving husband. To his friends and family, he seemed hardly affected by the death of his wife. Fortunately for Colin, they wrote it off as shock or grief manifesting in a slightly unusual way. Hazel, on the other hand, took the deaths far harder than her cold-blooded counterpart. She felt extremely guilty and pulled away from Colin, both to grieve and to avoid suspicion. Still, less than six weeks later, in the summer of 1991, they had resumed their relationship. After all, they didn't want their homicidal actions to have been in vain. There was just one problem. Hazel couldn't bring herself to be fully intimate with Colin. After the crimes he'd committed to be with her, Colin wasn't willing to let his romance with Hazel cool off. So he offered up a solution for Hazel's waning libido, something he was very familiar with from his work as a dentist. Laughing gas. Nitrous oxide, or laughing gas, has medicinal purposes, but some people use it recreationally. In healthcare settings, it's used as a component of general and dental anesthesia, and it also has powerful analgesic properties. 
In fact, it's sometimes used to manage pain during labor and at birth. People sometimes abuse nitrous oxide to get high by inhaling it, which can induce a short-lived but intense rush of euphoria, excitement, and disorientation. In lieu of our story, there's also some anecdotal evidence that nitrous oxide can promote sexual arousal. Although the research is heavily lacking, it's believed that nitrous oxide might do this by stimulating the brain's endogenous opioid system, which partially governs our sexual behavior. Colin might have read this somewhere, or he may have been doing his own research. Regardless of arousal, the nitrous oxide would have intoxicated Hazel, severely impacting her mental and physical state at the time. The use of laughing gas relaxed Hazel enough to allow Colin to have intercourse with her, albeit in an altered state. In these moments, she seemed detached and less inhibited, giving Colin the impression that he could carry on. However, looking back on the encounters, it's likely that Colin was sexually assaulting Hazel. Even if she had tried to leave, it's unclear whether Colin would have let her. Perhaps noticing Hazel's discomfort, he soon offered her a stronger drug. It was midazolam, a benzodiazepine often used as a sedative and injected with a needle. Midazolam is a sedative sometimes used as a precursor to surgery in certain procedures. The general effects are relaxation, drowsiness, and decreased consciousness. The drug also has the potential to cause severe confusion, abnormal behavior, and hallucinations, and it's very common for people to experience amnesia or forgetfulness after receiving midazolam. Once the injection took effect, Hazel would have essentially been incapacitated. There's no question with this medication in her system, what Colin did to her could be considered sexual assault. By this point, it seems Colin wanted a body more than a girlfriend. The drug-fueled encounters were quickly creating a compulsive sexual urge that Colin wasn't willing to correct. But Hazel eventually refused to engage with Colin while she determined her next steps. So Colin turned his predatory ways to his patience. It's unclear when exactly he started, but at some point in the wake of his wife's murder, Colin began to sexually assault his female patients. Before surgery, he would often give them midazolam, the same drug he'd given Hazel. Then, while they were sedated and defenseless in the dentist's chair, he would grope them. In the aftermath of the incident and dental procedure, Many patients didn't even know they were assaulted, in part because midazolam, like most sedatives, can cause short-term memory loss. While the exact time span is unclear, we do know there were at least six assault victims who recorded allegations against the dentist. It seemed Colin Howell was more devoted to getting away with immoral actions than starting his life over with Hazel. Though, in a last-ditch effort, he did propose to Hazel. To her credit, she rejected him. This man had killed her husband, then sexually assaulted her. 
even though she was an accomplice, Hazel was Colin's victim too, and their relationship was over. So in 1996, 37-year-old Colin Howell left the girlfriend he'd killed for and sought out a new lover, someone who knew nothing about his dark past. Coming up, Dr. Colin Howell learns he can't keep all his sins hidden in the dark. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Now, back to the story. In late 1996, 37-year-old dentist Colin Howell attended a singles mixer for people of the Christian faith. After destroying his relationship with the woman he'd killed his wife for, he was now intent on finding a new partner. That day, at the event, he met Kyle Jorgensen, a 30-year-old single mother of two who had recently moved to Ireland from America. Less than a year after meeting, Colin and Kyle got married. It had been about six years since Colin murdered his first wife, but when she walked down the aisle, Kyle had no inkling of how Colin's first marriage really ended. She was eager to offer her children a new father figure and she was in love. After the wedding, they merged their families and moved into a larger home to accommodate all their children. And in the summer of 1998, Kyle gave birth to their son, Eric. And while it seemed like Colin had finally gotten the life he'd killed for, he couldn't escape his religious guilt. A few months after their son was born, Colin sat Kyle down on the couch in their living room and confessed. Colin told her that he'd not only killed his first wife, Leslie, but he'd also killed his mistress's husband and staged both deaths to look like suicide. And he'd gotten away with it. At first, Kyle was shocked and horrified. She told Colin that he needed to go to the police and confess. Colin agreed, saying he'd accept the full consequences. Maybe the years of keeping it a secret had taken a toll on him, or the birth of his youngest son forced him to think about his crime once again. But after a few weeks, Kyle reconsidered. She didn't want to lose Colin, nor break apart the family they'd built together. Colin, too, had second thoughts about going to the police. So the couple kept the secret. It was just between them and Hazel, who wanted nothing to do with Colin or the crimes ever again. Despite the fact that his crimes were still a secret, Colin's demeanor seemed to shift. Perhaps in lieu of receiving absolution through a church, confessing his crimes to one trusted person allowed Colin to feel as though his sins were forgiven. 
Newly invigorated, in 1999, Collins started a second business for dental implants and cosmetic work in the same building as his general dentistry practice. His aim was clear. Implants and cosmetic dentistry are much more lucrative. And as he entered his 40s, Collins' focus shifted to making money. It's possible some prodding also came from his new wife, whose sister had a wealthy husband. But there was one problem with his new field. He wasn't much of an expert in it. Although Colin claimed to be a specialist in dental implants, his training in the area may have been minimal, possibly just a single class taken over the course of a couple of days. This is concerning, Alistair. Dental implantology and cosmetic work are a different discipline than general dentistry. It's like a general practitioner, like me, opening up a clinic to perform heart surgeries. Dental implantation involves replacing the root of a tooth, or teeth, with a metal screw so an artificial tooth can be fastened into the jaw. Dentists are trained in oral health and handle issues like gum disease, cavities, and some types of oral cancers. Implantologists, on the other hand, specialize in dental implant surgery, and it takes them about two years to become board certified for this. Colin Howe's rush training was incredibly reckless. Dentists and doctors who want to practice a new specialty absolutely must go through the proper channels. There's no fast pass option. It's not like negotiating the lines at Disneyland. To me, it seems like once Colin got away with murder, he felt he could BS his way through anything. And for some time, Colin's overconfidence continued to prove correct. Thanks to his carefully crafted reputation and low prices, Colin attracted patients from all over Ireland. Over the next few years, he made money hand over fist, enough to buy a new property in Florida. During this time, he and Kyle had four more children, bringing Colin's total number of offspring to nine. He continued to care for all of them. Though it seemed he'd turned his life around, the success he'd cultivated was soon interrupted. On April 30th, 2007, 48-year-old Colin Howell received a tragic phone call. His eldest son, 22-year-old Matthew, had been killed in an accident. He'd fallen four stories down a stairwell in the apartment complex in St. Petersburg, Russia, where he'd been studying for a semester. His son's death sent Colin into a spiral. Possibly seeking to distract himself from grief, he began throwing his money around haphazardly. Inspired by his rich brother-in-law, Colin invested around 45,000 pounds in a building in Nicaragua, then nearly 400,000 pounds in a convoluted plan to find and excavate buried treasure in the Philippines. Months passed after he fronted the money and Colin received few updates. The whole deal appeared to be more and more suspicious as time passed. In December 2008, with his finances in the red, Colin traveled to Manila, desperate to recover any money or treasure he could. 
His contact assured him that he could receive two gold bars as proof of their successful excavation, so Colin agreed to meet him at a hotel for retrieval. Unfortunately for Colin, the box his contact provided didn't contain any gold at all, just a few silver dollars and $30 in banknotes. There were no long-lost riches. Colin had been conned, and in the process, he'd lost all of his savings. When he returned home to Northern Ireland and told his wife Kyle what happened, she kicked him out of the house. Down on his luck, Colin moved into a trailer park. He continued to work as a dentist, but without money, a family, or a parish of admirers, he felt worthless. Perhaps this was when Colin began to feel God was punishing him for his crimes. He'd spent nearly 20 years trying to outrun his guilt, through sex, through family, through money, and finally with confession to Kyle. But none of it had provided a permanent solution. The only option left was coming clean. On January 29th, 2009, at the behest of his estranged wife, Kyle, 49-year-old Colin Howell met with three church elders at his family's home. Colin trembled as he told them that in 1991, he'd murdered Leslie Howell and Trevor Buchanan. The elders were shocked to realize that Colin Howell wasn't an upstanding citizen, a respectable dentist, nor a good Christian, as he had worked so hard to make them believe. They immediately called the police, who took Colin into custody that morning. Not long afterwards, the police also arrested Hazel Buchanan. After 18 years, she must have been shocked. Hazel refused to fully admit her complicity in the murders. She took her case to trial, claiming she was manipulated by Colin. But Colin testified against her and very persuasively detailed her part in the crimes. A jury found Hazel guilty of murder and a judge sentenced her to 18 years in prison. A long time, but her former boyfriend's sentence would be even longer. In addition to admitting to the two murders, Colin also confessed to sexually assaulting his patients. When the police followed up on his confession, six women came forward to attest that they were victims of the dentist. Over the past decade, more and more patients have come out about sexual abuse during their experiences with medical care. This is something that's obviously really upsetting, but on the positive side, the testimonies of survivors have increased public awareness and sensitivity to the issue. Additionally, doctors and their staff are largely becoming more educated and proactive about this problem. To give you an example, it's becoming standard practice now for doctors to only see patients with a nurse in the exam room and for physicians to put their staff through sensitivity training. 
Healthcare practitioners also clearly understand that state medical boards maintain a zero-tolerance policy when it comes to any kind of sexual misconduct. Accusations will almost always result in the immediate suspension of a doctor's license, while convictions will likely lead to a permanent revocation. As doctors, we have a responsibility to make patients feel safe. It all goes back to the golden rule, treat others how you'd want to be treated. Trust is crucial for any healthcare provider, and Colin Howe deserves severe consequences for breaking it. And he did endure consequences. By 2010, Colin Howell faced multiple criminal charges for both murder and assault. While awaiting trial, Colin was interviewed by three psychiatrists. At first, it seems he attempted to pretend he suffered from paranoid schizophrenia, claiming, among other things, that he heard his late wife's voice in his head. But the psychiatrists saw through his charade. One called him a psychopath. Another concluded that Colin had a narcissistic personality disorder. But ultimately, nothing in Colin Howell's psychiatric makeup would have an effect on his trial and sentencing. He was unquestionably in full command of his mental faculties when he killed his wife Leslie and Trevor Buchanan. On December 3rd, 2010, a judge sentenced 51-year-old Colin Howell to life in prison with a minimum of 21 years behind bars. Just a few months later, Colin Howell stood in front of a judge again for the sexual assaults committed during his time as a dentist. He was given five and a half years in prison, served concurrently with his lifetime sentence. He will be at least 72 years old by the time he can apply for parole. Colin Howell crossed the line so many times that he couldn't tell right from wrong or didn't care. It really seemed like the only thing that mattered to him was his image. He was a callous adulterer, and the lengths he went to to preserve his devout reputation were almost unimaginable. If he really was a religious man in his heart, he sure was ignoring some pretty key Bible verses. It's really disturbing to think that he could be free one day, possibly with many more years to live. However, I guess we were lucky to have him behind bars at all. It's astonishing to think that if Colin Howell hadn't confessed, the truth about his transgressions would likely remain unknown. Colin Howell spent his entire life as an imposter. He wanted to be viewed as a respected family man, a trusted dentist, a leader in his church, and a pillar of his community. He consistently committed crimes to cover up his flaws. But in the end, his fear of owning up to his errors ensured his flaws would become his defining features. For the rest of his life, Dr. Colin Howell will be known as a convicted sexual predator and double murderer. Thanks for listening to Medical Murders. And thanks again to Dr. Kipper for joining me today. Thank you very much, Alistair. For more information on Colin Howell, among the many sources we used, we found 
Let This Be Our Secret by Derek Henderson to be extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Medical Murders and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. Medical Murders is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Trent Williamson, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Joshua Kern. This episode of Medical Murders was written by Ryan Lee, with writing assistance by Lauren DeLille and Maggie Admire, fact-checking by Bennett Logan, and research by Chelsea Wood. Medical Murders stars Dr. David Kipper and Alastair Murden. Pirates. For centuries, the world has been fascinated by them. Blackbeard, Charles Vane, and Bonnie. Who were they really? Real Pirates is a new Spotify original from Parcast. Join us starting November 15th as we bring the true story of pirates to life.